If you've got a, a Bible in front of you, I would invite you to turn to that portion of Scripture that we read earlier on. And if you could have one eye on verse 17. I'll read it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. A new creation. New creation. Now, I'm sure that uh, many people in here are familiar with the Jason Bourne film. Seeing a few nods of the head. The Jason Bourne films. I think there's three, there are perhaps even four Jason Bourne films. For those who are not familiar with them, they're kind of like James Bond, but with a wee bit of a twist. And the twist <coughs> is that the main character, this guy Jason Bourne, he starts the film, the first film, with no memory whatsoever. He's got absolutely no idea who he is. And so the the storyline, the subsequent storyline throughout the films is about certainly his, uh, certainly partly his search for identity. You know, he doesn't know who he is. The guy's unsettled. The guy is uneasy. And in order to get on with his life, he's desperate to find out who he is. He's desperate to find out what he is. He needs a sure foundation. Okay? He needs a sure platform for his life. So that is Jason Bourne. But a similar situation can affect us as Christians um, in the modern world and in today's society. Because if, if, if you and I, if we lose sight of the fundamentals you know, the really basic things of what Christ has done for us, we too can feel kind of confused. We can feel all at sea. You know, if we don't regularly immerse ourselves in foundational biblical truths, we can find ourselves, just like Jason Bourne, you know, that idea of being disorientated and unsure of who exactly we are and unsure of the purpose that we have in our lives. So tonight, just for a short while, we're going to consider Christian identity. We can consider the, uh, the sure platform of Christ's work. And it's going to revolve around verse 17, okay? And it's going to revolve around the idea of new creations. That's what we're going to try and do. We're going to try and unpack what it means to be new creations in Jesus Christ. And predictably, I guess, by now, we're going to look at three points together from this portion of Scripture. Three points. So firstly, let's consider that as new creations, we have a new status. Okay? We have a new status. Now, about three years ago, uh, 
my wife Catherine and I spent our new year in Inverness, the north of Scotland, with my parents. And I'm sure if you can cast your mind back three years, you'll remember that that kind of coincided with an incredibly cold snap. It may have done here, I tell you, it certainly did in Inverness, where the temperatures plummeted to, let's say, minus 10 and below, lots of snow and lots of ice. Now, that's fine. But home in Fife, in our boiler, a tiny, tiny little washer snapped. It snapped. And that led, in turn, to the pilot light not going on in the boiler. That, in turn, led to the heating not going on. That, in turn, led to the pipes freezing. And eventually, as Catherine and I returned home from New Year, we opened the door and the pipes have burst and there's an incredible amount of water damage in the house. The point is that this small, small problem a tiny problem with a minuscule washer, it has led to eventually significant and costly damage. And that's what can happen in our Christian lives. You know, we can have a few seemingly kind of insignificant misunderstandings about the Christian faith. Just small little misunderstandings. But these things can lead to huge damage. They can lead to huge disorientation and incorrect views of what Christ has done for us. And there's two misunderstandings that we could have from this portion of Scripture that we've just read. Okay? Two misunderstandings. Okay, the first one... It revolves around this word that's, that's repeated so many times here. So this is a word that only Paul uses in the New Testament. And it's a word used a lot here. And it's that word, reconciliation. You see it used so many times here in just a small portion of Scripture, the word reconciliation. And that word... It can cause us loads and loads of problems because Paul uses the word in a way that differs from the way that we usually use the word in everyday speech. Because, take an example, say we're talking together about a couple. A couple who have reconciled. What do you think of? A couple... Who have reconciled. Well, we think, don't we, of a couple who have restored a formerly kind of friendly relationship. We think that they're on good terms now, having gone through a time of dispute. They've, they've rekindled a formerly friendly relationship. But that isn't it. Okay? That is not what Paul is talking about when he talks about reconciliation. Because we never had a formerly friendly relationship with God, did we? We have, by our nature, always been at enmity with God. 
There was never a, a special or friendly relationship to be restored. Now you see, reconciliation here, it's taken from a word group, okay? And it's taken from a word group that means an exchange, an exchange of merchandise or an exchange of money. So Paul is saying that God, through Christ, he's taken this hostile relationship and he's chucked it. It is gone. Reconciliation means that that hostile relationship has been thrown out and it has been replaced with an entirely new status. War is gone. Peace is here. Bitterness is gone. Love through Christ is here. Hatred, gone. Replaced with harmony. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Reconciliation isn't this kind of flimsy, flimsy truce. Reconciliation is an entirely new relationship with Almighty God. And then the second misunderstanding that we could have here is, dare I say it's a more, uh, a more common misunderstanding? Dare I say also it's a more pressing and serious misunderstanding that we could, could have here? And that it's the fact that through reconciliation, we are not just pardoned. You got that? How do you think of your salvation? What do you think about what Christ has done for you in the cross? You are not just pardoned. There is more to it than that. You see, through the cross, we are not just forgiven. We are. We're forgiven. And it's glorious. But there's more than that. And if we think of the cross in those terms, it is just an incomplete view of our salvation. Because if your Bibles are open, just have a look at verse 21 for just a moment. Verse 21. It says this. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Okay? So that in him... What's the next bit? This is the crucial bit just now. We might become the righteousness of God. So don't make the mistake of viewing yourselves as just being forgiven, as just being absolved or pardoned. There is more to it than that. You see, you are also made righteous. In Jesus Christ, you are made righteous. It's called double imputation. That at the cross, our sin is imputed to Christ, but also his righteousness, it is imputed to us. His righteousness is accredited accredited to us. It is attributed to us. We have his righteousness. So we mustn't think 
that we stand before God today as Christians neutral. It isn't about neutrality. We stand before God as righteous. And if we go into the new year clinging to that, then it's going to change our lives. Because we will walk as Christians with confidence. We're righteous before God. We will walk with joy. We are righteous and we are righteous before God. Friends, we are new creations. We are reconciled and we are righteous in Christ. We have a new status, a new status. Now, I was given the opportunity a number of years ago um, as a Free Church of Scotland student, believe it or not, uh, to go to the Buddhist centre in the city of Edinburgh. And it was arranged by a Christian organisation. And the idea was to go and interview and chat to one of the main players in this Buddhist centre in the city. And so I went along and I met with this guy. And we had a oh, nice guy. We had a good chat. Except that it wasn't exactly what you would call the most informative conversation you've ever had because the guy despite being so you know active in buddhist circles he was the big man in the center despite that he didn't he couldn't really answer any of the questions that we had about his faith he seemed to know very little about buddhism he couldn't tell us what i don't know what the core beliefs were he couldn't tell us what what it was that made him a Buddhist. The guy was nice, he was a dead-on guy, but he was pretty clueless when it came to this faith that he was professing. And that takes us to a second point tonight from our study of 2 Corinthians 5, and that is that as new creations, folks, we have a new message. We have... A new message. And we see here firstly that this is a message that has been entrusted to us. It's been entrusted to us. Now, when we read through these verses, and when we listen to it, when, when Paul was reading it out, we could see that the message of salvation and reconciliation comes from God. It's God's message. It says that all over the place here. It says, all this is from God. It's God's message. But the important point here is that it's God's message. But he has handed it over. You know, just think of the Olympics. Think of the 4 by 400 really. You know, that idea of passing the baton. Well, that's a similar idea here. God has passed the message of reconciliation. He's passed it over. And the crucial thing is, he's passed it to you. And he's passed it to me. And Paul, as he writes this, he is just so, so concerned that we see this. He's so concerned that we realize that 
the message of reconciliation has been passed to us, he's so concerned that he states it really obviously, and then he repeats himself immediately. Because look at verse 18. Verse 18. Paul says, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what does he say almost immediately? Verse 19. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, God has entrusted this perfect and this absolutely priceless message of salvation. And he has entrusted it to jars of clay, to ordinary people. He's entrusted it to you and me. We've been entrusted with a message. Now, whether you will admit to that or not, I'm sure that some of you, in fact, I know that some of you watched the Christmas special of Downton Abbey over the last few days. And I can tell by the smiles on people's faces that that is true of a lot of you. And I confess that I was forced to sit through most of it too. And there was a bit in this Christmas special of Downton Abbey where Matthew, I hope I've got his name right, pretty sure I do, Matthew was out in the hills and he was shooting deer, as you do, and uh, a rider approached him. And he approached him with pressing news that... um, Matthew's wife, Lady Mary, had given birth to a son. But such was the importance of this news, okay? Such was the magnitude of it all, that the messenger knew that the old rules didn't really apply here, that he could shout out to his master, and he was even allowed to interrupt this stag hunt at a a, a crucial moment. See, it didn't matter. He had to pass on this piece of good news. And friends, we've been entrusted with a message. Yes, we have. It's in our possession. But we have to see that this is a piece of news that has to be spread. Because verse 20 tells us that we ain't just possessors of a message, that we are ambassadors. For Christ too. Ambassadors. You see, verse 20 says, God is making his appeal. How does God make his appeal? God is making his appeal through us. And that's just the most incredible image, isn't it? This idea that you... And me are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors is brilliant. You know this idea that that because Christ represented us on the cross, that we have to represent him on earth. That we have to represent him amongst our friends and our families. This idea we're ambassadors for Christ, that we are the very spokespeople for God. This idea that you and I have to be 
willing envoys for the divine sovereign. And then just think about how carefully a diplomat or an ambassador would take his message. What care he would, he would give to it. You know, let's say, for example, a British diplomat is to address the Russian parliament, okay? Now, before he does that, he's going to go over that message, isn't he? He's going to go over it with a fine tooth comb. He's going to be thoroughly prepared to speak. So too, we, we've got to embrace this message. We've got to pray over the message of reconciliation and salvation. And then what do we do? We've got to speak it. We've got to tell people. You see, because verse 19, it tells us that God, through Christ, is not counting men's sins against them. I'll say that again. God, through Christ, is not counting men's sins against them. That is the best piece of news that anyone could ever receive at any point. And that is a message that is in your hands. And it is a message that we have to deliver. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. So a new status and a new message. A new status, a new message. Now, uh, Channel 4, over the last number of months, they've been showing uh, the latest series of A Hoarder Next Door. Have you caught an episode or two of A Hoarder Next Door? Well, it is quite fascinating viewing. Because the program follows people with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. You know, people who can't get rid of anything in their lives. People who uh, jam-pack their houses. They, they hoard onto and keep everything that they've ever owned. And so the beginning of the program, it shows some of these people's lives. And it is... For example, their living room will be so jam-packed with stuff that we don't know if there's even a sofa there. There's so much garbage and waste. And it's the same also of the kitchens. Do they have a sink? We don't know. There's so much. And what happens if the program goes well and according to plan is that the person in question receives counselling and help. And... What happens is that the house eventually goes from being in a mess to being a house that is completely transformed. It's a house that is now tidy and clean and organized. And that takes us to our last thing tonight, point three, a new beginning. Okay, as new creations, we have a new beginning. Because that situation of the hoarder, it parallels what we can be like as Christians. Because we know in verse 17, we read what should happen as Christians. 
Because it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has gone. The old has gone. Yet, despite the fact that we're new in Christ and we're new creations, we can still try and hoard some of the sins of our hearts, can't we? We can still try and live according to the flesh. But the old has gone. We're to get rid of and we're to cast off these sins of the heart. The old is gone. See, verse 15 says that we are to no longer live for ourselves. So as Christians, the old has gone. We are to change our way of life. That former way of life where we lived for ourselves, it has to go and it has to be replaced with a desire to live for Christ. He has to be the hub of our lives. He has to be the core of our lives. He has to be the thing that everything revolves around. And then verse 16 is even more stark. Because it says there, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The old has gone. You see, society and the modern world, it is going to exalt and lift up for praise the rich and the externally beautiful and the powerful and the influential. But we are new creations. We can't think that same way. We cannot. The old has gone, so we have to let it go. We have to view people through the lens, the eternal lens of the cross. We do not look at people the same way. Friends, we have to pray that we have a transformation in attitude from self to Christ. From self to Christ. And then, okay, the last thing, the very last point, the very last sub-point that we're going to consider tonight about new creations. The very final thing from verse 17. It says, the old has gone. What comes next? The new has come. You see, friend... You are a new creation, and that means that you must understand that you are not the person that you used to be. Everything about you is new. And there's a word missing from verse 17 in the NIV. A word missing. And it's the word, behold. It should say, the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And you see, that word, the word behold, it's there so that we grasp the excitement that should be ours because of the newness that comes in Jesus Christ. You see, in him, everything is new. One writer says there are new views of truth. 
There are new principles, there are new apprehensions, there are new feelings, and there is new governance of the soul. Friends, one day all things will be new in Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian tonight, in this place, you are going to be a part of that. You see, there's a new age to come. There is new wine to be drunk at the heavenly banquet. There's a new name for believers, a new song of redemption to be sung. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So friend, do you need confidence? Do you need confidence to go out into the world and live in this society for Jesus Christ? Are you struggling with your identity? Well, consider you are not the person that you used to be. Christ has died. And because of that, you are not slightly changed. You are new by the blood of the Lamb. You are a new creation. So let's go out into the world, okay? And let's go out not shyly. And let's not go out with apprehension. Let's go out with confidence. And let's bring that message that we are entrusted with. And let's bring it to the ends of the earth. And let's say with Paul, what does he say here? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Nice.